Welcome to The Ripe Podcast, a podcast providing innovative and inspirational dental education to dentists, specialists, and their teams worldwide. Each fortnight, we deliver relevant content covering procedures, educational opportunities, and interviews with rock stars from the dental world. As we explore the successes and failures of dentistry, learn practical tips and expert advice to help you become a better dental professional. Uh, it's my pleasure to have uh, Paul Goodman, the founder of the Dental Nachos Group, and uh, generally trying to get people to be nice. So uh, thank you for joining us here, Paul. And I think the last time we talked was when I was in Philly. Yeah, my, my pleasure, Link. I followed you and your awesome group. Honored to be chatting with you. I really, really enjoyed meeting you in person. We got to see some uh, historic sites in Philadelphia and then got to see uh, Dental Nachos headquarters and have margaritas. So it was a great time. Yeah. Yep. And actually, I think uh, the the one memory I have of being in Philly was actually showing you the city. Yeah, that happens a lot. You you uh, you need a guest to come to enjoy your own city. Otherwise, you just go to bars and restaurants and where your your children need to go. So yeah. my wife and I say that all the time that we like when guests come because we look to take them around the city to take ourselves around it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I remember you you were like trying to sprint everywhere, and I'm going, Paul, slow down, slow down, yeah. look. This stuff to look at. You can't look That's when right. you run. <laughs> I need. I like that. I need more. I need. I need that tone. Some ways, the Northeast, uh, the United States oh. way is sometimes uh, very Seinfeld-esque. Yeah. So I, obviously, this particular podcast is going to be very specific to the times we're in because right now you're shut down, and I am not sure if. I, well, I shut down last week anyway, but uh, yeah, that's the world we're in. Yeah, it's, a, it's an unprecedented, you wouldn't think this would be in a movie, but it is, it, it's a movie called Earth right now in 2020. And uh, I've been trying my best to be um, a good leader, a good husband, good dentist. And it's just challenging, you know, good dad, because we're being asked to do things we haven't been ever been done before in our dental space in terms of basically shutting down our offices. In the United States, we have some states that will still let you see elective care, defining and not non-elective care or emergencies. But you know, dentist Link, I, I think you know uh, we can't uh, get along about occlusion. So I don't think we can get along about what constitutes a dental emergency. <laughs> topical. It is, uh, look, not too nuts here in the United States. Yeah, basically, if the patient's not going to die right now, it's not an emergency. I think that's. <laughs> I think that's one of the definitions. I have unique training in this in that, you know, a lot of people don't know my dental background. So after dental school in 2002, I did a multi-year general practice residency at Albert Einstein in Philadelphia, which I loved. I, I was a, a resident, a chief resident status hospital fellow. And we were in an area of Philadelphia where there are people don't get regular dental care. So we would open up our doors daily and one yeah. dentist would be in charge of triaging. Sometimes we'd have 40 people waiting. So I actually developed some systems that I've been sharing, you know, I'm not saying I'm giving clinical advice, but we had, you know, this is for 2003. You say to a patient in a small triage room, not a dental chair. Mm. First, I say, uh, you have any problems breathing? No. Swallowing? No. Let me see your face. Is there any swelling? No. Immediately that took them out of the acute emergency. Then we talked about urgency, small intraoral swelling, chronic or no big deal. And I've been sharing that because I think our patients in private practice can sometimes try to make us feel there's an emergency that's not really a true health emergency and yeah, talking yeah. through it. I mean, I've learned so much from you about how to talk to patients. And it's one of my favorite topics. This is when you really have to rely on your 
management uh, skills and verbal skills. To, yeah, well, I mean, so what, so what you're saying is that if your teeth are shade A4 and you've got your prom coming up, that's not an emergency. Yes, it is right. Exactly. Yes. It, it, uh, but my Instagram feed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's an emergency. And, and also, I try to bring some levity to the, because there's a lot of high emotions right now. And I posted something today. I said, uh, some dentists are saying, you know, what if my patient's, needs a crown or their tooth is about to break. Well, during this crisis, come in right now for the crown. But if, it, if they were booked out and they were going to Positano, they'd say, have a soft diet. I'll bring back some limoncello for you. You know, so, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just, a, a, just a crazy time that we're faced with. And um, I think actually a lot of things you talk about with patient management and talking to patients comes in really key because that's all we have right now. We don't have drills or operatories, but we do have our verbal skills. There is actually a really good... Uh paper that was just put out by the I think it's the British Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery and it it basically defines things like what is an emergency so basically if the patient's not going to die right now uh, it's not an emergency if it's they're in pain and so on then you prescribe or whatever but you don't generate any aerosols and if it's something that's a problem well, they'll live for another six months until you can yeah, get I mean, to it. So. I, I'm with you, and I also I, I did a short <clears throat> video today with a short video with my two year old because everyone likes seeing her. And I said at the end, you know, what I say, and I've used this. This has nothing to do with this crisis. You know, you put an implant crown in. Patient says it's too tight. I say, well, that's better than too loose. And I always say, if this gets worse, you know, let let me know. If this gets worse after seven days, call me back. And I've been saying this to our patients now on the phone. Hey, I know you have pain. You have this monitor this let me know if this gets worse if it doesn't get worse don't call me back and just that yeah. one little decision tree puts it on the patient or you know if it is we do have to deal with like you said life-threatening things so if they have a, a facial <clears throat> swelling airway problem or breathing problem they do need to go to emergency in emergency room because that's our general dental offices are not set up to even handle that anyway so yeah. hopefully i'm adding some insight to that for our yeah although you know, one of the things that you are managing when you've got a facial swelling is airways. And there's a lot of demand for airway care at the moment. I so uh, <laughs> it's a tough time to be alive. Well, so. I agree. Anyway, but, uh, you know, it's actually interesting you said about, you know, it's hard to get dentists to agree. And I think that's just normal in professions that people have differing opinions about many things. But, uh, you know, the, the difference between us and, say, a lot of our medical specialist colleagues is we actually own the hospital, whereas they don't. You know, if you're, a, if you're an ENT surgeon, you don't generally provide your own hospital, whereas the dental practice actually is you're the surgeon, you're the, you own the diagnostic, the radiography centre, you own uh, the staffing of nursing staff. You know, you actually run a mini hospital. So it's quite a bit different for a for a, a medical specialist to shut down as it is for a dentist. A dentist, it's Oh, very a, true. You order the paper towels. You're the person getting the paper towels too. No job. They always say no job too small for Paul. And that's, you know, one of the challenges I talk to dentists about when they leave dental school and go on through their career. It's that you, you have to think about things. The only thing I can liken it to is being the parent of a three-year-old that never grows up because that's kind of like a dental practice, you know. You're, there's great parts of it, but there's also just these management parts that you're right, our medical colleagues are not, even aware of happens. I don't think. Yeah, I guess the, the more procedural ones would, but like, you know, your ophthalmologists often have their own facilities, but yeah, that, that's quite true that often they just have an office with one receptionist and then they go to the hospital for everything right. else. It was interesting. I, I did a plastic, I was on a rotation with a plastic surgeon 
2003 at his office, it was very, you know, we, we would do the consults in his office, go to the hospital. Some of the things were very dramatic. Some of them were just simple mole removals, but it, it's, he just had, I do my consults and look at the patient. He'd actually wear a fancy suit or mm-hmm. I go and do the procedures. <clears throat> and I, I actually, there's a lot of things that I liked about that. You know, I like, it just doesn't seem to fit into our dental model, but I really kind of like that. He would just do a day of consults, looking at people, making plans, writing stuff down. I'd bomb around. Next day, we'd wear scrubs. He'd take everything off, you know, take off moles, do big surgeries. And, and to me, that was sort of his that division. He talked about that. At yeah. his office, it was very easy to run. He just had a room that people sat in and a receptionist like you talked about. Yeah. And, and it's uh, probably from a mindset point of view, too. It's good. You know, you're in the mind of doing surgery or you're in the mind of doing consults. Yeah. Um, you're not trying to be a technician and a communicator at the same time. So although having said that, the days where I do back-to-back new patient consultations are the most tiring days I ever do. Very true. Yeah. I always think it's because you got to bring your new patient face out, right? So when you have your existing, it's like new friends, right? When you have your existing patients, say, okay, Bill, lay down and you know them. You make a joke about, you know, that this will be a, a, a U.S.-centered joke. You make a joke about the Patriots or the Red Sox or the Phillies and you know them. But when, when you have the new patients, you got to be on your mental A game. And I, it's a totally different muscle and it can be yeah. very, very exhausting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's uh, so probably for me, the thing that uses the most brain power is actually public speaking to a group where I can see their faces. So you, you're judging the response. And the thing that's as close to that it would be uh, new patient consultations because you, you're yeah. trying to watch their body language, their what they want, what they can afford, not offend them. Uh, you're juggling a lot of things mentally at the same time. And it's not something that's easy to practice. Each patient is so unique. If you do a crown, it's like the last crowns more or less, but consults are always new. I would share for me, I realized this, I was graduated from dental school 2002, private practice 2004. And in 2011, we purchased a satellite location that my brother and I were in charge of running. You know, and I'm, you know, eight years into my career and I have my systems down and I would go to the satellite location uh, unfortunately, that dentist was sick. We never had met him. So I had to take over the patients. And I'm like, why are all these procedures taking so long? You know, at a Cluzo composite, I was like upset with myself. And then I realized like I had to sit there and be nice to people before I did the procedure mm-hmm. because they didn't know me. And it was taken. I talk with young dentists about this. Don't be too hard on themselves. Also, if you hire younger dentists, because when they get out of their residency or dental school, every single patient's new each day. And to us seasoned dentists, or I talk about medium age dentists, that it is not an easy day to see all new yeah. patients. No, no, it's not. So uh, obviously, when you shut your practice down last week or something, it was. I shut mine down last Monday. Totally, there was a, there was a lot of controversy. I was I was connecting with our ADA. I actually had the chance to interview the executive director of the ADA on Monday. You know, this this talks about you know Link. I see your amazing <clears throat> Facebook group and all this great stuff you do, and I do some similar things. So I'm communicating with dentists all the time. You're communicating with dentists all the time who, who come forward and step forward and want our content. But now we had this issue of having to communicate to dentists at the same time. And it just went sideways here in the U.S. I mean, there's probably dentists today in some corner of Philadelphia who don't check Facebook or their email or may not have them. So it really showed how fragmented dentistry was and how when we had this urgency you know, some people didn't want to shut down. Some people said it was hysterical. Some people said, you should. of mm-hmm. course, you know, a lot of judgment came in. So I had spent last Saturday and Sunday doing a lot of posting and emailing. And 
trying to get to the ADA. I mean, in our the American Dental Association, it's a bit of a Wizard of Oz, right? Like, how do you get to it? You can't call up and say, so I shut down last Monday and today is the sort of the ninth day of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what preparations did you make for your practice? And the reason I asked this is I went through a disaster once before. Uh, and so for me, I think mentally and psychologically, I was a little bit more prepared for a disaster than some people. But in your case, what, what have you done practi- from a practical point of view to, to cope? Really good, really good question. I mean, it, it hits on multiple fronts. It's not it's like a menu at a restaurant you don't want to eat at. First, first, we want to talk about our team, right? Inform our team that we have a safety issue. The thing that's happening here in the U.S. maybe there is do we have the right PPE to protect ourselves? So uh, I didn't want to send our team, our employees. First of all, we have OSHA and we're required to create a safe environment anyway. But it, to me, I said, this, there's too much misinformation or lack of information going on. So we contacted our team, said, here's the deal. At first link, we thought of, I said, I make, and you actually helped me a lot in Philadelphia about how don't deliver an entire treatment plan all the time, which I didn't do, but I, I channel you more. Go with the first step. And then when you get a relationship with them, go with the next step. I really appreciate that advice. So I kind of said to my team, let's do three days. I said, we didn't know as much there. I said, we're doing three days. We're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So we contacted the team and the patients. Most of the time, and I give a lot of credit to my brother, who's a great systems guy, you know, our, our offices can be shut down logistically and functionally. You know, I mean, there's not much we had to do to the physical location. Since this time, we have had a dental assistant go in and, and manage some running the lines and doing things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just been constantly updating our patients and trying to stay connected with them so that they're aware of what's going on. And, and they call us on our cell phones that's how we deal with emergencies. That's our teledentistry right now. So right yeah. now we're doing a lot of cell phone teledentistry and we're looking into some teledentistry platforms because as this goes on, we're just getting mounting uh, patient. See, I don't like the word emergency because our makes like this. We're getting patient scenarios that need attention. Like someone said their implant crown was loose link. I'll give your listeners a, uh, a good tip and maybe you've experienced this. When patients say their implant crown is loose, okay, in my patient population, Eight out of 10 times, it is not their implant crown. It is a post and core that has decayed away. And yeah. Yes, crown. yes, yes. The old post and core implant. You know, I had an implant done in 1987. Yes. <laughs> and this guy is such a nice patient. But, you know, most of these patients are 60 to 80. I get it. They had an implant in the front. And I say, it's rare for an implant to get loose. Not impossible, but rare. So I said to myself, okay, I know the patient. Maybe it is. Maybe it, he had a number seven implant. Maybe he's biting on it. Then my brother texts me the picture and, you know, it's a crown snapped off at the gum line. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, in an emergency scenario, it's root canal treated, so he's okay. So, but we're getting a lot of questions and concerns about this. And um, also what's happening too to a lot of dentists here, maybe there is, Patients who d- were delaying treatment, that was kind of medium, right? You know, yeah. a crown, a this. Now I think they feel this weird urgency to call and ask about it, you know? Meanwhile, they wouldn't have paid attention to you. So we're managing the team, the patients, physical location. Uh, I'm really trying to get the dentist here to donate PP to local hospitals. In the U.S., I was speaking with your awesome team member before you are on. We have a lack of protection for the frontline people at hospitals, which I don't even understand you know, maybe you can help me understand. I don't understand how we have, don't have enough to protect. Well, I think it's pretty simple because you don't actually stock up for a one in a hundred year pandemic on average. You know, that's a lot of years of stocking stuff for when you need it. So it's, 
you know, I think it's unfortunate, but it's also quite realistic. It's like, you know, most of us don't have a nuclear fallout shelter. No, I'm that part of it. But what about these companies that make it? Can't they get produce more or be called like in World War II? We had, you know, I guess it's a presidential decree. We had people, we had, we had, we had companies making stuff for the war effort. I feel like we're at this with the three M's and the, and the companies like that, but you know. Yeah. And look, I, I, it's a very interesting thing because if you're in a, in a non-democracy, you can shut things down very easy. But the, the problem is, and you would see this with, with online is that I can, and I see how difficult it is for politicians because if they shut things down too early and they actually solve the problem and no one ever dies, then they're going to get criticised for the rest of their life. See, you've killed the economy and there was no need for it. No one died. And so um, it, it's, this is really, and look, I don't care what side of politics people are on, like this, this goes for most democracies, but actually people need to see that it's a bit serious before you can enforce the types of measures that you need to do. So I know that sounds really cold, but probably in most democracies, that's actually what's got to happen. You've, you've got to... People need to see that this is getting serious. And the only problem with this particular infection is that once you see that it's serious, then next week it's really terribly serious and the week after that it's exponentially serious. So it's a really difficult one and I am just trying to manage my little part of the world without telling, you know, I wouldn't like to be the head of a country right now. I think it would be a sucky job. Last night, I mean, and it was a a, a great uh, correspondent. Or and he, you know, we have these two factions going on now. I have been all I've, people have given me a lot of great accolades over the past week. There's also people have said things that my grandmother would not have been happy with about me. But I'm the same me, right? And I'm just what I'm actually championing is standing up for safety this week. You know, staying home, staying safe, stop the spread, and 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 evaluating things as they go along. But last night I was watching with um, my wife, Mrs. Nacho. She loves that name. Well, you, you met her, so you could call her yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a true dilemma. I mean, a dilemma is where there's no good choice. I mean, we have a, tr- a serious dilemma. And whether it's the economy or, pers- mm. or, or safety, it's, it's a balance. And I, I think we need to meet in the middle to move forward. And each side has to hear each other a little more. But uh, Well, it's hard to have a lot of practice in this situation too. You know, there's some things like, uh, <clears throat> you know, economic downturns for reasons like everyone borrows too much money or things like that. That's, that's something that happens fairly often and governments kind of get some experience over time of how to deal with it and or muddle along. But, you know, when something happens about once every hundred years, it's hard to get a lot of practice in, you know, you, you, you don't have a lot of repetitions up your sleeve. So, I mean, that's the problem is you don't actually, you'll never know which way would have been better. I, I totally agree with you. A lot of it can relate to dental. A lot of it's like periodontal When it gets so bad, you can't fix it. So I've said a couple of times, even with my own family and my two daughters, you know, I was here at 9-11 and the, and the towers were hit and you could see on TV that this thing was happening and an event yeah. was happening in your brain. Right here in Philadelphia, the, the weather's nice. It feels like a weird horror movie. You, you walk up the street, no one's there. And, and even me, who's really trying to wrap my mind around it for to help as much as I can in my small part, it doesn't feel like anything's happened. And it's just, uh, it's, I think that's hard to process as a, as a human, much like our dental patients who many times say to us, I don't want to do anything until it hurts. And I say, well, if you wait until this hurts, we're going to have a bigger problem on our hands. Yeah. It's good for us if they wait till it hurts, but uh, not so good for them. Yeah. You know, actually that's a, that's a really interesting point. You said that 
after the, the tails were hit, it was a really nice day. So my experience with disaster was a flood. Uh, we had two floods in my town and the second one was really bad. It's the worst in history and, and it affected every uh, town for 200 kilometres or 120 miles in all directions. So I pull patients from about two hours' drive and so all the areas that I pull patients from were affected. My practice uh, also tends to focus a little bit more on more elective, quite expensive treatments. So... Uh, my revenues fell 40% instantly and my net income fell 50% and it didn't recover for quite a few years. So, but the day that the flood was happening, because all the rain had happened a few days before, and the day the water was coming through the city and just, it was just dead calm. It was almost beautiful. It was like dead calm and the water was just rising gently through the city and it was so still that it had a reflection on it. And the sky was blue, not a cloud. It was a beautiful day. And if you've never had a flood, you don't appreciate how bad they are because I've seen them on TV before and you go, oh, it's a bit of flood, a bit of water in your house. What's the problem? And you don't realise that the water is full of sewage. It is yeah. li literally full of poo or whatever's on the bottom of a river. And if you fill your house with that, your house is kind of ruined. And at that time, I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I just kind of continued on until I started running out of money. And then I started to have to make tough choices. And one of those really difficult choices back then was, I remember that towards the end of 2013, I was so low on money, I'd sold one of my cars to pay wages. So I had three cars and one of them was worth something. So I sold it to pay wages. And then I realized I can't pay the mortgage this month. Jeez. And I had to call the bank and it was just really, really difficult to do that. It was just because of the, you know, humiliation and the, the dint to my pride. And actually, the call went really well. I called the bank and I said, look, I can't pay the mortgage this month. And the bank said, look, you've paid your mortgage. You're ahead. You're three months ahead. You've been paying every month. You've paid your debts for the last 15 years perfectly well. We've got no problems with you. Don't worry about it. We'll help you out for a few months. And so that, that, uh, experience has changed a lot and so when I started rolling into this the first thing I did before I even run out of money this time was call the bank and I say hey just letting you know our practice is probably going to get shut down and I probably can't you know I may or may not be able to pay some of my various finance loans or whatever and the, the guy the bank obviously particularly because I called and I was calm and I was one of the first people to call he goes, yeah, it's no problem. He says, we'll support you through. What have we got to do? That's uh, great leadership. And there's also, I mean, I've been mm -hmm. saying this over the past few days on all these different podcasts and, and, and Facebook lives I've been doing is, you know, it's important to say the words and hear the words. And, you know, you as a, as a, as a good leader just reached out. Sometimes I think people's tendency is to say nothing, but just to inform people, hey, even if you think they know, uh, this is, you know, we're doing the same thing with Dennis in the U.S. with practice loans and leases. I would ask, like to ask you a question, though, Link. So you going back to that flood and you shared, what would you have done differently as a leader or a business owner? Cause you said you kind of continued till you ran out of money. If you were, what would you have done differently? Would you see any different treatment plan for yourself that would have wound up with a better result for you? Or was that just really the only thing to do? No, I, I would do things differently now. Uh, <clears throat> so the different things I would do now is number one, and it depends on your circumstances, okay? I was in a different circumstance than, than I am now. So 
part of that experience gave me a bit of a fright and I've reduced my debts a bit since then. So, uh, well, look, I'll tell you the whole story because it, 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 it was a buildup of things. So I'd had a flood in 2011 and we recovered. We went down like 7% in turnover or gross and then we recovered and the next year, 2012, was a killer. It was like the biggest year that I'd ever had by far. It was huge. And I decided after we had never had our own house, so we had been renting for years. And so we decided to build ourselves a house. And we thought, okay, we're doing pretty well. Let's build a nice one. We've managed to survive a flood with no problems. So, you know, we're pretty tough. We can handle things. So we started building a nice house. A flood happened about three months after the house started. And I thought, no problem. I've been through one flood. I can handle a second one. So it'll be down a few percent and I can, you know, next year will be a great year. And that didn't happen. So, so that caught me out as it just went on and on and on and on and on um, because the second flood was much worse and psychologically it damaged people because they had two within two years. So because I didn't think that it would last so long, I then doubled down and I bought a big piece of property off a developer who was going broke. Um, so the price of the land is like 170 acres of land close to the beach and the developer was going broke and the land was half price. And I thought, I'll buy this, okay, because it'll recover, recover soon. So I not only, uh, you know, I increased I increased my debts at the same time as I was going through a disaster. So probably in hindsight, that maybe wasn't the best option. <laughs> that's, that's a good share. That's what I've been, we've been talking about because well, the thing was happening with this, Lincoln, and, and you know what I think can bond dentistry to, together, pun intended, is we all can remember dental school. This is how U.S. dental school was. I've been saying this. We all got the same bad grade on the test through no fault of our own. It doesn't matter if you could wax up a central incisor while reciting the Krebs cycle at the same time. Yeah. Everyone in the everyone in the U.S. has gotten the same, and I'm sure in other countries too has gotten this same bad grade. We have to come back for, so yeah. come back from, and recover from. So I think that should be unifying to a degree, even though it's incredibly scary. Um, the thing that I would like to share, and as we talk about this, and maybe you know, whenever this is released, well, I'm hoping is in a different spot is. I'm just concerned where you're going to have a challenge reopening our dental offices here in the U.S. due to this PPE issue, OSHA issue, CDC issue. So I'm just carefully, and for all the dentists who feel helpless, I tell them, reach out to OSHA, ADA, and the CDC and say, what are you guys doing for dentists? Because uh, you talked about your patients. That's what I want to say. You talk about your patient being unable to get to you after that flood, and then mm -hmm. there was an economic downturn. But your office didn't appreciably change. So as the economy got better, People started doing things again. I'm very concerned about patient confidence coming back into our offices after this challenge here with this virus. So I'm, that's just top of my mind to monitor as this goes on. I, I'm pretty sure that the world ability to produce PPE will be increased after this. And I'm almost, almost as certain that the supply of uh, protective equipment will be more diversified than it was in the past. So I, I don't think, I think it's unlikely that we're going to rely on a single country to produce most of the world's PPE after this point because it's too much of a security risk uh, or a health risk. So uh, I, like, I, I, know, I don't know what's happening there. I know that there's been, uh, in Australia, there are actually mask manufacturers. They just were shut down because they were too expensive and the government has basically just funded them to start up. So I think that uh, I, did, I, I can't talk about the American uh, look. And if there's one thing you know about Americans is that you're, when you get 
someone gives you a poke, you can do a lot of stuff pretty quickly. Yeah, so yeah. Once you're provoked, okay? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like you don't like to talk to each other, but when you're provoked, you, you know, the United States can definitely do a lot of things yeah, that are unbelievable in a very short time. So, uh, and that's, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing, even here, the hospitals, uh, you know, they've just, I know one of the hospitals has just moved a whole bunch of their maternity to a private, so it's a public state-run hospital and they've removed, they've moved all of their maternity stuff to a private hospital and they signed that contract with the private hospital in less than three days. So you're ready to move, move with that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, I call it CPS, creative problem solving. I usually am talking about it for dental nachos or my dental office. But now, as we watch the world, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers has to build more hospitals. People suggested, you know, maybe using hotels, which are now empty, because we do have to, you know, they've, what, what's interesting here is, um, yeah, and concerning is they've shut down all this elective hospital care, but yeah. these people this stuff and maternity right you can't you can't manage the you can't tell someone yeah i'm sorry just just have your baby next month (laughs) right so you know that's that's a um uh and then you know the the economic fallout of that and them not doing you know different knee replacements and hip replacements just like us for dentistry not doing crowns implants and and root canals is going to have an economic uh consequence as well yeah yeah but actually if we go back to that question you asked me which was you know what what would I do differently? The things that I would do differently is I wouldn't take it, I would be more serious. So I wouldn't go, oh, this is just a small thing, it'll be over soon, and then double down and increase my debt. So I definitely wouldn't have done that. Number two, I would have called the bank much sooner and said, hey, help me out, because I didn't know that was a possibility. Like my parents went bankrupt when I was a kid, so probably I'm scarred by that, but the, you know, the ability to call a bank and negotiate with them, I didn't know that you could do that. I would have reduced my staffing sooner because it's better to reduce staff early and save the practice than to keep all your staff on even though you love them and lose the practice as well because then everyone loses the job. So, But I had never had to really fire someone up until that point. And so it was very, very difficult to... I couldn't... I, emotionally, I was unable to fire someone until I ran out of money. It was just that difficult for me. Whereas now I'm a bit tougher. Uh, I think it's a good point. There, there's—I don't know if this story is true. But they said that you know a guy who liked to play basketball back in the day loved basketball. He was cut from his high school team, but then he like joined a band with Prince or something, right? So it was like you know one door the the one door shuts, another one opens. Now this is not exactly this, but you're 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 saying some of the things that I think are just so key because the practice has to survive, and we have to do what it takes to make the practice survive. And, and I've been using this word this wording. So Paul and Jeff Goodman, we're the owners of our dental practice and we have a team and then we have managers and we say, you got to talk to the team. We're all talking. And I say, you know, don't use Paul and Jeff can't pay you say, you know how you have to pay your rent, your, your rent and your food and this, someone has to pay the dental practice so we can pay you. And the dental practice right now is shut down and we cannot, the dental practice cannot pay anyone, including Paul and Jeff. Right. So it's not, it's not, it's just wording to say, to make it about this dental practice and having it survive. And in the US, you know, unemployment is there to pay teams. We don't have that to pay our CBCT loan. We don't have that to pay something else. So our team members, and I know it, we're all in this sucky thing together, but our team members actually have this resource of unemployment to keep them afloat, right? I know it's not ideal. Whereas practice owners, then we have to pivot and look at other expenses 
to try to manage. You know, they've talked about relief. I said, the government in the U.S., maybe in Europe too, someone's going to have to pay these dental practices if they want them to keep going. I mean, yeah. the patients aren't going to come in. So somebody yeah. has to come in and say, you're going to get money, whether they're low interest loans, whether they're uh, small business administrative loans. But I mean, we have a real real time problem to solve right now for dental practices in the U.S. And I'm sure probably similar for you guys. Yeah, I have seen that. I, I don't know much about the American banking scene, but I have seen that some of the banks are basically just saying you don't have to pay your uh, loan for several months. So, yeah. uh, but, but you know, that uh, one of the things I was interested, I was talking to a friend the other day and he had, he has a group of practices and he had immediately sat down and worked out what his cash burn was, worked out how long he could survive, uh, called all the people on his list of, people that he pays money to or businesses that he pays money to and had negotiated with them all. Now, that's one of the things that's really key is to get in while you're in a rational frame of mind and do everything you can. But also, I think even more important, my parents did go bankrupt. So they were like just about yours and my age. They were about around just before 40. They were farmers and they we drove away from the farm with an old secondhand car and our clothes and that's all we had. And my parents now own a beachfront house. You know, it's not the end of your life if you go bankrupt. I, I, I'm not encouraging people to go bankrupt and I'm not making light of it. It's, it's actually, interestingly, as humans, it's more stressful to go bankrupt than to be diagnosed with a terminal illness. But, but, and, and, but I, I use this link. I always say, you know, I don't say ever you should save a tooth. It's just way too dramatic, like saving Private Ryan in the movie. I say, you know, we can't maintain this tooth, right? So I think save is a dramatic term. Fail is a dramatic term. I say needs to be replaced or maintained. So bankruptcy, I just had David Phelps on my podcast, who's really is just a, a, a great thinker. And he's talked about people going bankrupt. And a lot of times it's recentering, right? It's a chance to recenter. Sounds like that's what your parents did, no matter how stressful it was. And that may happen. And I just think we can't be heroes you know whoever this happens to or what it happens to and make the best decision in the moment another one of my catchphrases for my team because we're we're being things are being thrust upon us and i want to say something Lincoln. this is such a great conversation and i i've used i've talked to my brother you know we have two practices to me it feels like right now through no fault of our own these practices have been shut down like a beach bar that i like to go to right it's winter the beach bar is not was closed right then yeah. it's going to reopen so if we shift for a second, I mean, some of the people that are affected here, and a lot of them are people who are in dental nachos, are these younger dentists who are associates and these dental students, because we're talking about practice ownership, but now these people, their beach bar shut down and they don't have a place to work right now. And they don't know when the beach bar is going to reopen if their dental beach bar, if there is going to be a place to work. So we really have a true nacho plate, to use a term like I like, of challenges of each age dentist, I call bads, baby age dentist, medium age dentist. And then you have the seasoned age dentist. And one of the things I do in the US is I do practice brokering, which I love, right? Helping dentists sell practices, one of my favorite things to do because it's high level problem solving. Why have seasoned age dentists, who I affectionately call SADs, they have deals on the table now that are on pause. Their whole practice that they were gonna sell, whether it's 300,000, 800,000, a million, emotionally, like these are on pause. I don't know if they're going to be sold. This affects me as a broker. That's one of my streams of income, but it affects them more because when we turn these beach bars on again, 
what's going to happen to these practices? My positive thing is this pent up demand. You start to see the people. This is a positive way to look at it, right? You know, people come back in with their broken teeth. But if the economy has taken uh, a downturn, are people going to be reluctant to return? And the U.S., I know we've talked about this a lot. We have this dental coupon called insurance. And if your coupon's gone, a lot of times you don't think they want to go. So I know that was a lot to digest. I just wanted to share. Those yeah, thoughts. Look, yeah, you know, the, I think the it's going to suck. Okay, it's going to yeah. suck, and it's sucking bad, and there, there's no doubt about that. And and the I don't want to say that I don't want to try and be you know make light of it or try and say it's a great thing. It, it's definitely not. Okay, but I was looking at a graph the other day of uh, passenger air miles. Okay, so the number of flight miles that people do in the world uh it was it was done by a, a airline captain because obviously he's getting calls from people who are doing their pilot training going is there going to be jobs <clears throat> and so he had the long-term graph and obviously it's a it's an exponential graph so the the growth rate of flying is just accelerating and then there was 2011 and it just went down for nearly two years but after that time it actually rose faster than usual until it caught up with the standard curve of the graph and so this will happen you know obviously it was a tough time if you're in airlines at the time it there was airlines going broke all over the place and there was staff out of jobs and it was i actually was running a conference at that time and my conferences basically died because people weren't traveling to conferences so uh it was a tough time but the the graph continues you know, it yeah. continues to go up as people get, as the population gets wealthier, they spend more on teeth. That's just. I, I, I see that too. What I actually think is, you know, what I think this short term challenge is going to be, it's going to be significant for all of us. I just think this is what I see is that dentistry and the people working in dentistry during that time, there's going to be a lot of part timeness to it that used to be full time. Like you talked about reducing staff quicker and, you know, not, not, trying to be emotional and say, I got to keep them on. And then that hurts the practice, right? Mm. So when the practice opens back up again, and I'm actually using some stuff from Lewis Howes, uh, who's you know, someone I follow podcast and, uh, you know, talking about when does this happen to businesses? And you look and you say to your four dental assistants, and there might, there might be two good answers like implants and, and maintaining a tooth. But do you say, Hey, we're all going to, you are going to, you three are going to work part-time or one of you is going to work full-time. I just think mm. that's going to be a part of the solution and it's going to be a tough one where there'll be part-time work and then dental people, including dentists possibly, are going to have to fill it in with something else. Yeah. Look, I, I, I never like to try and predict the future because it, it's impossible. But uh, the only advice I have is make the calls to everyone you owe money or have to pay money to and do, negotiate with all of them and do it before you're in a panic, if you're not already in a panic. And do the best you can and make decisions quickly. And if that's not enough, well, then it's not your biggest asset. I've, I was talking to a guy in the UK and he's absolutely brilliant. He's had come up with this amazing business and he's only just had the business going a few months. It was going crazy and basically it shut down. So brand new business was growing like a rocket. It shut down. And that's very tough. And we all, when you first hit, the, there's a point where you go through grieving. So when, 
you're kind of going, nah, nah, this isn't going to be a problem. It's not a big deal. It's only a flu. And then suddenly it hits you that, yes, this is a big deal and it's going to shut us all down. And that, that point is usually like one or two days of having a cry and considering taking up alcoholism, okay? <laughs> and then you kind of come out of that grieving and it's, you know, it's sucky still. But And he was in that state and I said, dude, your biggest asset is not your money, it's not your house, it's not your practice. It's your brain and you will still have your brain one way or the other. Whether you survive or whether you don't financially, you will still have your brain. And that's the thing. Like i got another friend who's in banking and it's not easy. Like he's, he's worth billions and it's not an easy time to be in banking, you can imagine, because <laughs> yeah. they have people like us calling them saying we don't want to pay. And, uh, you know, He's in banking and it's, you know, you can only do what you can do. You, you, you do the best you can with the circumstances. You either go crazy or you do your best trying. That's all you can I do. This, I have this book made in, maybe it's a universal book, you know, eating an elephant one bite at a time. It's like a kid's book. But last week my theme was safety, sanity, and stress. You know, maintain your safety, try to keep up your sanity and manage stress. And I shifted my theme this week to um, safety strategy and small solutions. So safety is still important, you know, stay home, stay safe, but now start to do some strategies. I'll share, because I think it goes from shock to strategy, and you've talked about this here. You know, I had some very challenging personal situations, both my parents um, dying very suddenly, and I was the only one who knew for a period of time, short period of time, and I had to tell people, everyone's life's gonna be different. Uh, but I moved from shock to strategy because I had to help people survive, including myself. Mm -hmm. I think shock to strategy, what we're going to see this week, right? And, it, you know, move from shock to strategy to small solutions. Start doing things like you said to manage your debts, talk to banks, talk to your team. And uh, in this scenario, uh, in those previous scenarios I just spoke about personally, I felt very alone because that was my family. You know, I was with my nuclear family, but this was not happening to everyone around me. So I felt, you know, I was unlucky and it was just me. But now this is just a worldwide pandemic that's affecting everyone. And I think we just need to, you know, safety, strategize and small solutions together however we can. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, look, I, I, it's gonna, I, I feel for people who are, you know, massively stressed. But, you know, there's, there's nice parts about it too. Um, I got to have a midday sleep. I talk, yeah, I love that. I, I, had, a, I had a nap. <laughs> it's I, like I, I a big mistake. I don't know. I don't want to hear about my worst mistake of the pandemic. I'm not too ashamed to share it. The other day, I put some jeans on and I said, that's too tight, back to sweatpants. So, you know, uh, I said the other day, I wrote this pointedly. I was sitting with my daughter uh, and I never be able to do it. And I said, I'm never going to get this chance again. I'm here with my daughter in the middle of the day. We're doing a puzzle. And, you know, I said to her, why we, I did, I, I'm big into videos. So I said, you know, why are we doing this? And, um, you know, she says, the virus is here. And I said, what's the cool part about staying home? And she said, you know, I don't have to go to school. But, you know, it, it was just, I'm not going to get a chance like this, good, bad, or indifferent, to stay home with my five and 18-month-old and wife and, you know, drink some yeah. wine. Every it's going to be the first first and last long holiday you ever have. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, this, hey, I used to tell people, my parents used to say this to me, and I always, you know, grandparents would say this and, you know, appreciate what you have when you have it. Usually you're young, you're flexible. And they say, appreciate being flexible. Well, I'll tell people, appreciate some of this downtime because this may cause 
a huge modification in vacations for a while. So you may as well make part Enjoy of your it. day vacation. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I had a friend recently actually just say that, uh, you know, she's, her kids are going to, when they grow up, you know, and they're adults, they'll be going, oh, I remember the great pandemic, you know, mum was home and she was cooking every day and we were doing puzzles together and watching movies together and, you know, it was such a good time. I would say from a strategy standpoint, though, and I'll just speak to my own experience with my five-year-old, I know it's different. We have, because like the, the school system has to get on board too, because if they say, okay, everybody go back to work, dental practices, accountants, whatever, uh, if they don't put the schools back, we're not going to have the support team to help us at our dental offices because yeah. you, know, you can't, it's a, I think it will still remain illegal to leave your kids at home when they're five years old. So yeah. I see, that, you know, the schools are, I feel like there's this vibe that there's no more school for this year. We're, we're in um, March and we go till June. And yeah. if that happens, uh, I feel like that's going to be a, a, a mini crisis after the crisis because people count on school to have the, it doesn't matter what, and this is not a socioeconomic thing. I mean, this is, People count yeah. on school to have their kids in school so they can go about their day. Yeah. If they're not in school, that's going to be a challenge. It's going to be dental daycare for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've already had. I've already got children of staff at my office. Don't you worry. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I guess they'll use those write-offs, and now they're working at the office. Yeah. Oh well. You know, it, it's amazing how much more flexible everyone becomes. That, uh, yeah. You know, when you push to you know there's a lot of we have a lot of regulations and ideas and then suddenly you go okay well none of that's working right now what are we get, how are we going to survive so i want to uh, say something before i forget link speaker to speaker and also someone who's a meeting planner so i've been doing a lot of uh, virtual different ce and you know live stream stuff and recorded stuff and last night i had a, a great woman on and she goes maybe if we do all this ce now you know no one's going to want to do ce and i said no i think it's going to be like it's been popular for old style drinks to come back in fashion, like the old fashioned. So because, you know, from the old days, I actually think from our roots, people are going to want to come to live events. They'll say, I'll eat a chicken parm at 11 a.m. on a Friday. I just want to get out and see people. So I actually, <laughs> Yeah, I there might well be a rebound for sure. Yeah, a rebound for live C, which, which is something I believe in and like running. So I, I, I just wanted to make that yeah. light joke, but I know you yeah. did that. Well, it's actually interesting because – so we've been, for the last 18 months, we've been working on building this online educational platform that we have. And, uh, you know, but I've just been slammed with patients. Like normally my office is booked six or eight weeks ahead and it's just so busy and it's so stressful and it's so hard to take time off. And suddenly we've gone from not having enough time to in the, like in the last five days, we've launched a new subscription model. It's low cost. We want to get accessible and affordable for the entire world, not have expensive online models, which only rich dentists like Australians and Americans can afford. Um, I've got a guy on who's helping me structure the company. We're just about to raise capital. We've got thousands of people subscribed in about four days. It's actually given me space in my head to do things that I've been wanting to do for a long time and just haven't had time to do, you know, like that. It's, that's it's awesome. That's where you just embrace the little good parts. I kind of say to young dentists or even my age dentist, you go through a day, a lot of, a lot of annoying stuff happens, embrace the good parts. You know, uh, I know, I don't know if this is going to be on the video, but this is how I feel dentists feel on the inside part sometimes link of their body, like Mr. Grumbly here who needs uh, some ortho. So, you know, embrace those little good parts, embrace the patient who said you did a good job because some don't. So just in this, even in a pandemic and 
embrace those small bits of getting to record an online course. I bought a book on George Washington. I'm going to read, you know, so you know, I, I, yeah. uh, I hear you there. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's it. You do the best you can and that's all you can do and enjoy a bit of time off. Uh, like, you know, sometimes things could be, you know, the, the person, there's a friend of mine was actually really stressing about, you know, what if they actually did catch this virus and if they ended up in intensive care and it was all terrible and so on. And I said, look, if, if you knew that was going to happen in four weeks' time, what would you spend your last four weeks doing? Would you spend your last four weeks sitting there sad and gloomy and miserable and depressed for the last part of your life or would you go out and have a great time? So, you know, don't live your life like you're dead already. Even, I, I even if you're going to be dead, we're all going to be dead one day, but don't live it like you're dead already. Well, so Things that have happened to me in life that have been challenging have all been blindsided. So I have a, uh, a thing, worry when you have to, and I just try to tell myself that, worry when you have to. Right now, I, I've been signing off a lot of my dental nachos, lies with, are you safe right now? Is your family safe? Do you have enough money today? Yes, yes, yes. Not everybody can say that. So, you know, keep it in perspective. And I, I, hopefully that adds a little bit of, of, you know, just embracing the moment in, in the, the good, the bad and the different, just like our dental day, pretty much the yeah, same thing. Yeah. Right? And we're going to learn how to make really nice stuff out of tinned tuna or tuna, <laughs> yeah, exactly. as you would say. <laughs> I, I always said, I, I was saying, Dennis, we were built for this link. We went through <laughs> dental school. We were treated like terribly. We were annoyed. We're, we're professionals at being annoyed. So being yeah. recovering is going to be annoying and we're going to do yeah. it. And I would just like to say right now that all those prepper people who have like bunkers and whole websites devoted to how you survive off the grid and how you survive when everything's shut down. You know, I'd like to apologize for all the jokes I've made about you in the past. <laughs> so I've been looking at your websites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you invite me into a bunker? It's like, it's like someone on one side of occlusion needs work or your side say, uh, can you come and adjust my occlusion? I won't say anything bad about your dental care. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, very good. Okay, Paul, I got to run, but thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and uh, you, know, you stay safe. You too, Link. Thanks for having me on. Good on you. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on The Ripe Podcast. We've teamed up with mentors from around the world to offer you a growing library of high-quality online educational lecture recordings and resources. Visit our Academy website, www.restoringexcellence.com.au forward slash academy and become a premium member today. Become better at dentistry and be sure to tune in in two weeks' time for our next episode of The Ripe Podcast.